This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Over the past two weeks, I preached the first two parts of a three-part series that began with the what-if world and the second part called the what-now world. In the first message, the what-if world, I made the point that if we are not careful, we can live in a perpetual state of regret by focusing too much on the past and on missed opportunities. In the second message, the what now world, I taught that we need to focus on the fact that Jesus is a very present help in time of need. And in that message, you needed to understand that the cross was, but the resurrection is. So we needed to see Jesus at work in the midst of us right now in the present. He is not dead. He is very much alive. In both of those messages, the what if world and the what now world, the common theme was how to deal with loss and grief. Loss and grief are as common to our existences as breathing. And no matter how good you may think that you are, live long enough, and I guarantee you, you will become very acquainted with loss and with grief. So as I contemplated this idea of grief and loss, I found myself wondering if there is something of value to all of the pain and the suffering that you and I bear. Is there something that we are headed towards that will make all of our pain worthwhile? In fact, I'm thinking of the scriptures that says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Nice scripture, but the truth is, no sooner does the joy that comes in the morning is upon us that without any delay, the weeping of the night quickly returns. So my point is simply this. Is there something that we need to know about our present sufferings that we can be looking forward to? Is there a reason for me to hang on and to hold on in the midst of all that I'm facing and in the midst of all of our struggles in life right now? Is there any basis for us to have Christian hope? Well, I believe so. And so I ask that you look with me at our text one more time that was read earlier, coming from the book of Revelation, the 21st chapter and the first through the fifth verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So having spoken about the what-if world and the what-now world, today I'd like to speak a message that I have titled quite simply, The What-Next World. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, it is you and only you that grants wisdom to your children. Wisdom and understanding to see the things around us and to not be distracted, but to focus on your purpose and your plans for each and every one of our lives. And so, Father, I invite now your Holy Spirit into this preacher. Breathe on me now, Lord, as I speak words that I believe are of you, divine words. Speak now, Lord, for your children are listening. This I pray in Jesus' holy name. And the church all over the world, we say, Amen. Many of you, I am sure, have heard the term pie in the sky. It is an American phrase that was coined by a gentleman by the name of Joe Hill back in 1911. Hill was a Swedish-born laborer who migrated to the United States in 1902. And he used the phrase in a song that he called The Preacher and the Slave to mock the Salvation Army's hymn in the sweet by and by. An excerpt from Hill's song has these as the lyrics. Listen carefully. It says, from the day of your birth, it's bread and water here on earth to a child of life to a child of life. But there'll be pie in the sky by and by when I die, and it'll be all right, it'll be all right. There'll be pie in the sky by and by when I die, and it'll be all right, it'll be all right. The song criticized the Salvation Army's theology, specifically their focus on salvation of souls rather than on the feeding of the hungry. This is why when you hear the term pie in the sky or the great by and by, the context is often most used in a derogatory manner to mock Christians by implying that we are so heavenly bound that we are of no earthly good. So as far as Mr. Hill and everyone who mocks our Christian faith is concerned, the pie in the sky is a false optimism, a promise of something good happening in the future that is very unlikely to take place. In other words, a pipe dream, and we are wasting our time looking for that great by and by. But the fact is, the pie in the sky is a reference to our idea of Christian hope. The belief in the coming of Christ in glory, the resurrection of the dead, the promise of eternal life, and the warning of eternal damnation. These all form the basis for our belief in something that is yet to occur. As Nicholas sang earlier today, I'm going up to yonder. It is what we anticipate as what's next for us in this life. Christian hope, 
brings to all of our struggles in this life the passionate expectation that something is going to be made new. This is eloquently found in our text where John says in verses 4 and 5, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Church. Christian Hope says, the way things are today is not the way that things are always going to be. So the big question for all of us here and the question of Mr. Joe Hill is, how do we know this? And how can we be certain that this is true? How do we know that the pie in the sky is real? How do we know that there is a great by and by? How do you know that your labor is not in vain? Literally, my brothers and sisters, it's because of something called faith. Faith. Now, scholars and all the smart people in the world will tell you that that's a cop-out answer. That, that you know, that, that's not a really good reason but I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you have faith, you will understand that the things we preach about are not simply figments of our imagination or nice things to talk about, but it is something rooted in a reality that those who think they are wise don't even know. For God uses the foolish things of this world to confound even those who think they are very wise among us. Now, the Bible defines faith as a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, now, this is an accurate definition, but I must admit it is a little difficult to actually grasp what this means. So, so we need a, a simpler kind of a, a, a definition so that we can understand why our Christian hope and faith and our belief in the pie in the sky has merit. I will submit to you the following Definition for your consideration as we talk about faith. Faith is confidence that I will get something tangible that I have never seen. How do you like that? Faith is confidence that, that, that I will get something tangible that I have never seen. Now I want you to hold that thought there for a moment. Because we can't talk about faith unless we talk about its twin, which is truth. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines truth as a statement of being in accord with fact or reality. We're going to school this morning. In other words, truth is anything that describes reality. So if I see a dog and I call it a dog, then that is truth. But what if it only looks like a dog to me? then there is doubt. And so, because the truth is, maybe it's a, a hyena, right? This means that what I declare must then be verified if we're going to make it truth. In other words, your statement and my statement about something or anything, for that matter, is not truth unless it can be Verified. And how is something verified? On the testimony of two or three witnesses is a matter confirmed. So what I'm declaring to you, church, quite simply, is that faith is defined as confidence 
that I will get something tangible that I've never seen. And truth is the confirmation of something tangible as seen by two or more witnesses. I hope you understand the two. And so the bottom line is this, that if there is in fact a pie in the sky, or if there is in fact a great by and by, and if it is to be true, then it must be tangible and it must be seen by two or more witnesses. Whatever you think about the pie in the sky or the great by and by, whatever you think about Christian hope, I am telling you that it must be tangible and it must be seen by two or more people. Otherwise, we are simply living a pipe dream. So, what does our text have to say about that? Well, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, who prepared it as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, you can read the entirety of the text, but two things I want us to note in the text. Number one, the tangible. The text says there's a new heaven and a new earth. It also states that there is a holy city, a new Jerusalem. Now, this is not difficult to understand, brothers and sisters. You and I are clear on what heaven and earth is. We can see the heavens above with the clouds and the stars in the sky, and we're standing right now, or some of you are laying down, on planet Earth. In fact, Jeff Bezos just left it only to return. Furthermore, there is a real city called Jerusalem, which is very different from the city called London or New York. So for the text to say new, it is clearly referring to the tangibility of what we know is real and what already exists. Simply put, if I say I'm buying you a new car, though you have not seen the new car, you know what a car is because you already may have an old car. If you did not have an old car, then you would not be getting a new car. And if you did not even have a car, you would simply be just getting a car, which may not necessarily be brand new. So my point is, the first condition to satisfy the truth of the pie in the sky, or the great by and by, is satisfied because the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem are tangible because we know that the old already exists. Secondly, the witnesses. The text says in verse 1, then I, this now is an account from the Apostle John, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. By seeing the tangible, John has become our first witness. The Apostle John, who wrote the fourth gospel, the three epistles, and the book of Revelation, is a credible witness, and he is sharing with us what he saw. If you have a hard time believing what John wrote in the Bible, then you should not even believe anything that Dr. Martin Luther King or even Abraham Lincoln or any historians have written. Why? Because the truth of the matter is the Bible is far more credible than anything else written on this earth. Now, continuing on to verse 3, it reads, And I, speaking of the Apostle John, heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! The source of this voice from the throne is also looking, which makes this source our second witness. You and I know that the source of this voice from the throne is none other than our Lord. And there can be no more credible witness 
than him. So now the second condition to confirming the truth of the pie in the sky or the grape by and by has been satisfied through the mouth of two witnesses. But sadly, this is not enough for many people because they would claim that I'm using what the Bible says, which is a book written by men, and it cannot be used to validate itself. Well, the challenge is valid, and I do not have time to prove the authenticity of the scriptures. So suffice it to say, I'm going to speak from here on out to people who do not doubt the Bible as the word of God. The Bible is God-breathed, inspired, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. In other words, I am talking to people that have faith in the God of the Bible. And what I will tell you is that you can't believe some parts of the Bible and not other parts. In other words, you have to take the whole scripture as face value. You either take all of it or none of it. So I'm only speaking now to people who have faith. If you do not have faith, you have hope. But right now for the people who have faith, who are hanging on to that last thread of hope, who are seeing Delta viruses and people dying all around us who are wondering about God and this pie in the sky who believes and think that I got to hold on to my faith. I am talking to you because you have something the size of a mustard seed that I can work with. If you don't even have mustard seed faith, then this message, this sermon might not be for you. Now, because of faith and truth, we have concluded that the new heaven and the new earth are real and they are yet to be realized occurrences. So pastor, what does all of this have to do with the pain and the suffering and the grief and the loss that we are experiencing right now? I am glad you asked. I am glad you asked. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself, hear it, God himself will be with them and be their God. God himself will wipe every tear from their eyes. God himself says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. God himself says the older things have passed away. God himself who was seated on the throne says I am making everything new. Write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. In the last two sermons, I preach the what if world and the what now world. I open with this statement. You cannot change what happened yesterday. But the operative word in that statement is you. You cannot change what happened yesterday. You cannot make things work together for your good. You cannot know the plans that God has for you. But while you cannot change any of these things, God can. God can and God will. For not only does he have a plan for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, it is also a plan that gives us hope and a plan that gives us a future. This is what the Bible instructs us to believe and the text is very clear. He who is seated on the throne said, I 
and making everything new. God himself is going to make all things new. God himself will wipe every tear from your eyes. God himself declares that there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. God himself is going to make the older things pass away. This is not something that you and I can do. This is something that God himself will do. It is only God who can make all things new. It is our God, the God of the Bible, who speaks out of a storm and says, Who, who, which of you can obscure my plans with words without knowledge? The same God who laid the foundation of the earth, who marked off its dimensions. The same God who stretched a measuring line across it, who set its footings and laid its cornerstone. The same God who, who, who while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, shut up the sea behind closed doors and made the cloud its garments, wrapping it in thick darkness. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about God. That same God who fixed the sea's limits, setting its doors and bars in place and saying, this is as far as you can come and no further. Here is where your proud waves must stop, even if you are a tsunami. The same God who gives orders to the morning and shows the dawn its place, who walks in the recesses of the deep. The same God who asks, have you seen the gates of death? Have they been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Listen, brothers and sisters. <laughs> I don't know what you're hearing, but just in case you are wondering, just in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, let's just jump real quick to the book of Job. The same God who says, Tell me, all of you wise people, if you know all of this. What is the way to the dwelling place of the light? Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwellings? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle. What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts the channels for the torrents of rain, and a path for the thunderstorm? To, to, to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost 
from the heavens. When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about God. Can you bring forth the constellation in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion on earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you by saying, here we are? Who gives Ibis wisdom? Gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of the earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness? And can you satisfy the hunger of lions? Brothers, I don't have to go. I can go on and on and on. But I went through all of that, went through all of that, which you can read for yourself in the book of Job. But just to point out how arrogant we can think we are, that we even have the capacity to even question the mind and the will of God. Who the hell do you think you are? I am talking about God. We walk around thinking that we know things when the truth is all we really know and can state with any confidence is that God is. God is. And not only is God is, he's also the same yesterday and forever. So, and again, I'm talking to people of faith. If you believe in that same God, the same God who made the heavens and the earth, the same God who inspired men to write the words in the pages of our holy scriptures, then you must know that that same God will make everything that you and I are suffering today like new. It's the same God. So the pie in the sky and the great by and by are not figments of our imagination because the same God who is the voice seated on the throne declares he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is, my brothers and sisters, what I mean by the what next world. It is knowing that heaven is real and that the things that we do not see are far greater than the things that yet appear. It is knowing that eyes have not seen, nor have ears heard, nor have entered into the hearts of anyone the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It is knowing that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. It is knowing what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8. Now, I'm going to read it. But brothers and sisters, in the context of how I have presented this message, in this place where you may find yourself, where you are struggling and wondering, what does all this mean? And, and is there any reason for me to hold on to my Christian faith? 
Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. And again, I'm talking to people of faith. The Apostle Paul says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against this will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, listen church, with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Brothers and sisters, I understand that you are in pain. But the text goes on to say, we too, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. <laughs> if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently, but also confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in mere words. Church, are you hearing what I am telling you? These are not my words. These are not my words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes all things, everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So the what next world is our pie in the sky and the great by and by. It is holding on to the promises of God and knowing that if he said it, he will deliver on it. It is knowing that Jesus went to the cross not because he came solely to suffer, but in knowing that in his suffering, you and I might be partakers of the glory that is yet to be revealed. Church, I can't plead anymore, but I am telling you that the words of this book are trustworthy and they are true no matter what things look like to you right now you gotta hold on to his ever unchanging hands you gotta believe that what God said he meant it and he will do it and just in case you need a little bit more convincing I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven 
and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard, I didn't only see, but I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, look, behold, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And, and he himself will dwell with them. He, 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 not only will he dwell with them, but he's going to be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death from COVID. No, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the older things have passed away. He, he who was seated on the throne, he said, look, I am making everything new. Everything. I am making everything new. But church, I want you to write this down. For these words, they are trustworthy and they are true. The what next world is a future living in the eternal presence of a holy God. And for me, for me, a person of faith, that will be worth all the sufferings of this life. So my hope is that you too will want to be there with me. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.